This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon everyone. We've just read those words in the introductory chapter from John 14, the words of Jesus. He says... In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not, I'm quoting by the way from the New King James Version in case anybody's uh, checking on my um, quotations. In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So the first question we ask is where is the father's house, God's house? Well, invariably in scripture, whenever it uses that phrase of God's house, it means the temple. Either the temple that was, for example in Solomon's times, the temple that was in the time of Jesus, Herod's temple, or in fact the temple still yet to come, and we'll see that shortly. The temple that will be uh, put up in Jerusalem uh, when the Lord Jesus returns uh, to establish God's kingdom on the earth. Now many will say, well, it says there, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, Jesus, we know, was going to heaven once he had died and was raised. He's going to sit at God's right hand after his resurrection. I go to prepare a place for you in heaven? Well, no. Because he says then, continuing in that verse, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus will come back to this earth. And we'll we'll look at the kingdom a little bit later on. But just to establish it right at the outset, that's where Jesus is. He's at God's right hand in heaven, but will return to the earth to establish God's kingdom on the earth. And he says to his disciples then, And where I go, you know. And the way you know, the way you know, Jesus says. But, it's Thomas, isn't it, in that uh, reading that we had. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Thomas here, and I would suggest the rest of the disciples, were lost. They did not know the way. They'd been with Jesus now for almost three and a half years. Jesus had taught them uh, in his ministry the way. And yet they still did not understand. They were still lost. How typical that is, I think, that 2,000 years later, we're still in the same position in the world. That people do not know the way. People are running. Many are running to and fro. That's a a direct quotation from Daniel chapter 12, when Daniel's talking about the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro in the earth. And that's exactly what's happening now. Sadly, uh, the various we see in the news every day now, Uh, migrants fleeing from trouble uh, and we have to have sympathy with them they don't know the way Uh, they think they know the way they might want to go to Germany or Austria or the UK but they don't really know the way what they do know is they're fleeing from problems and troubles so what was there then they didn't know the way the disciples and Thomas particularly is saying we don't know the way show us the way Jesus showed them the way And he shows us the way today. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth and the life. Hence the title of our talk. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. And it was John the Baptist, the forerunner, uh, who prepared the way. The way of the Lord, the way of Christ, the Messiah. 
we can read when John was born his father Zacharias filled with the Holy Spirit said this you child is talking about John his son will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways this man this prophet John the Baptist had been foretold uh, way back in, in Isaiah that he would prepare the way for the Messiah to come we're going to see how he prepared that way he was to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our way into the way of peace so that's one way that the Lord that John speaks of the Lord Jesus he's going to bring us a way of peace there are many well-meaning men and women throughout the world today who try to bring peace there's a whole organization we know it the United Nations their sole aim or mainly their aim anyway is to uh, prevent bloodshed and conflict to try and bring peace to the earth and let's be honest they, they do um, they do do some good work they have been responsible for bringing at least some ceasefires from warfare and conflict at certain part, times and at certain parts of the world but even a mighty organisation like the United Nations cannot bring universal peace it's like squeezing a balloon wherever you try and squeeze it at one end and bring peace there war breaks out at the other end and this is what happens all throughout the world we see conflict now throughout the world there will be no peace no true and lasting peace nobody on the earth not even the mighty United Nations can bring peace to the earth John says there will be a way of peace in Isaiah's prophecy it talks about the time of the end it talks about when Messiah will come Behold, it says, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule with justice. Now, I've highlighted that word righteousness because that is the only way, the only way that peace can come to this earth, through righteousness. We're told later on in that same chapter, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So that's the way of peace. The United Nations or anybody in, in this world, uh, I'm not saying they're all unrighteous, that would be, that would be a, a little bit too much of a generalisation. Uh, but in the main, the world is unrighteous, they don't follow God. And therefore, without righteousness, there cannot be true peace in the whole world. It, we can see isolated pockets of it, but we can never see true peace until the King of Righteousness comes and brings righteousness. It's a precursor and a prerequisite for peace in the world. Going back further in Isaiah, again the prophecy talks about the way of peace. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, it's that phrase again, God's house, um, shall be established on the top of the mountains. The temple, we're told in Ezekiel's prophecy, the temple will come down from heaven and will be established in Jerusalem, which is in the top of the mounts of Ju in, in the mountains of Judea, in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted upon the, above the hills. And all nations shall flow onto it. It's a vision of the kingdom to come on the earth. We continue. Many people shall come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Again, that same phrase. He will teach us of his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. This is again a vision of the kingdom to come. And those well-known words, as we continue in Isaiah chapter 2, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That is a vision of true peace, lasting peace, 
brought about by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus when he returns. And ironically, that uh, picture you see there of a statue of a man uh, beating a sword into a farming, farming implement uh, is outside the United Nations building in New York on, on the East River there. That is their uh, watchword, their phrase, if you like, uh, beating swords into plowshares. But as we've already said, the United Nations, nor anybody on the earth, can do that, can bring two true and lasting peace. Only the King of Righteousness will provide the way of peace for us. Going back to John then, John the Baptist, he prepares the way of the Lord. And how did he do that? Well, we're told in Luke chapter 3, John went into all the region around the Jordan, that's the River Jordan, of course, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That word remission is a, perhaps a little bit of an old-fashioned word. We don't use it much anymore. It simply means, in this context anyway, forgiveness. Preaching the baptism of repentance uh, and forgiveness of sins. And repentance means to change. Not just to change your mind. To change your whole life. That was what John was teaching. And he preached that to the people. And many came to him and were baptised in the River Jordan. And when all the people were baptised, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptised. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in you I am well pleased Jesus was setting an example for us he was showing us the way through baptism it was a prerequisite again for salvation Jesus in his ministry taught us two ways he said wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction there are many that go in by it that I would suggest is the way of most of the world that they, will, they are blind leading the blind. They will go the way of destruction. Many that be going that way. But Jesus said the other way, the correct way, the right way, is that way. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. That's his way. That's following the way of the Lord. And there are few who find it. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas and his disciples and to us, not only am I the way, I am the truth also. We read right at the outset of his ministry in John chapter 1. The word became flesh <coughs> and dwelt among us. Jesus was the embodiment of God's word. We beheld his glory, John says. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was that true servant of God, his son, he lived a perfect life tempted in all points as we are but yet without sin he provided us with the true way and it's contrasted with the law that was given by God to Moses when the children of Israel came out of Egypt God gave them the law to abide by uh, through Moses but that was a law of God to bring the children of Israel to God and it was prescriptive. It was a strict law that they had to obey. Jesus came not to supersede the law, not to destroy it, but actually to fulfil it and to enhance it. And he came with grace and truth. And that's the way and the truth through Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his ministry, said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free and the spiritual leaders of the day the scribes and Pharisees said well, we're already free 
we're descendants of Abraham. We were never in bondage to any man. Jesus said, if you are sinners, then you are the servants of sin. And therefore you are bound through sin. But however, my truth shall set you free. When Jesus is before Pilate, after his trial, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus said this, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause was I born, for this cause have I come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So he's showing us the way. He's saying, I am the truth, follow me. And what did Pilate say? He said, I find no fault in this man. And yet, because of the priests who stirred up the people, Jesus was crucified, the man of truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Going back to um, Jesus' words, uh, after he's crucified and, and raised from the dead, he speaks these words to his disciples uh, right at the end of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 16. He says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, will have life. But he who does not believe, will be condemned that's very unequivocal uh, and there are many passages we could quote and we'll, we will quote some of them about baptism as a prerequisite for salvation um, there's no uh, ifs or buts here Jesus is saying he who believes and is baptised will be saved will have life eternal life everlasting life in his kingdom that he will establish on the earth Again, going back to John the Baptist, right at the very beginning, when John is preparing the way uh, of, of Messiah, John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, change, change your ways, change your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. When he says of heaven, it doesn't mean kingdom in heaven. It's from heaven. That kingdom which will come to the earth, as Jesus said, I will come back um, and establish a kingdom and the kingdom of heaven will be upon the earth repent John's saying change your ways change your mind it's at hand it's at hand well it was 2000 years ago when these words were spoken and yet the kingdom of God is always at hand because we don't know when we will die it could be today or tomorrow I don't want to get too morbid for everybody and depress you all but we don't know the future so for many who uh, will die then uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the very next second after death in, t in terms of uh, time for them. So it is at hand, it's near. And Jesus, when he began his ministry after his baptism, of which we have read, says exactly the same words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's nigh, it's near. And God loved the world, those well-known uh, words probably the most well-known words in, in the whole of scripture in John chapter 3 we are given that opportunity of life, eternal life, everlasting life in God's kingdom which Jesus will establish on the earth because God so loved the world he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, that means we will die but not perish forever but have everlasting life because we are shown the way of life God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, we're echoing those words that we said right at the beginning. Uh, no man can come to the Father 
but by me, Jesus said. It's through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and through baptism into his name. So we can see the kingdom that is to come. Right through the Old, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament for that matter, but in uh, prophecies, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Daniel, and here we see in Zechariah, it speaks about the Lord, the Messiah, it's called, he's called, returning to the earth, coming to the earth to establish a kingdom on the earth, a righteous kingdom, a righteous and peaceful kingdom. Um, and it says there, the Lord shall be king in Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 is all about the time of the end when the Lord Jesus will return. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord. Well that says oh, there shall be one Lord. It should say one Lord and his name one. And in Revelation again prophesying the time of the end. There were loud voices in heaven saying. The kingdoms of this world. And we've already mentioned the kingdoms of this world. Full of chaos. Full of conflict. Uh, and unrighteousness. The kingdoms of this world will be replaced. They have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever in a kingdom full of righteousness and peace but that won't happen until the Lord Jesus returns going back to right our opening reading we've already quoted these words already <coughs> in my father's house there are many rooms he's saying God's house we've already established is the temple the temple that will come in the future I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is now, now sitting at God's right hand, mediating on our behalf and interceding, awaiting that time when God will send him back to this earth to establish that peaceful and righteous kingdom. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There's a definite promise here. Uh, that promise is certain and sure. I will come again, Jesus says, and receive you to myself. And as Jesus is taken up from the disciples into heaven from the Mount of Olives, when after his resurrection and he ascends to, to the Father, to God, uh, two angels talked to the disciples as they watched him go and said, well-known words, Men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Again, they are so, the words are so clear to us, aren't they? That Jesus will return to this earth to set up the kingdom and bring everlasting life to those who would follow him. If we continue in the Acts of the Apostles we see some of the disciples of Jesus uh, preaching the same words after Jesus has, has ascended into the heavens. Um, Peter for example preached to the people. He reminded them how they had crucified Jesus. Uh, and how and all, all that they had done and they in turn said to Peter after a long speech by Peter well what shall we do that was the question and Peter's reply is there and it's very very clear repent again that same word change your hearts change your minds change your way of life let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and he says, he repeats there what we have already can see on that caption. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And Peter repeats that again in Acts chapter 4. Salva there's no salvation in any other. There is no other name under the heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Acts chapter 8 we now see another of the apostles, Philip 
preaching, when they believed Philip, the people, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. The message is so clear to us. We, we could quote uh, many more passages which tell us about the way to the Lord Jesus uh, and salvation is through baptism into his name. We turn now to the uh, Apostle Paul. Paul, when he was known as Saul, persecuted the church, persecuted the Christians, even so far as to going uh, way up into Syria, um, to, to Damascus. And we know that on the road to Damascus, he saw the light, literally saw the light, and was converted. He was blinded, but when he received his sight, immediately he was baptised into the saving name of Christ. And from then on, he preached Christ and uh, the, the baptism of repentance. And we see here in Romans chapter 6, Paul's letter to the Romans, he's saying how he likens baptism to a burial and a resurrection in Christ. Do you not know that many of us, as many of us were baptised into Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So this idea of baptism and how we should be baptised is through full immersion. How else could it represent burial and resurrection? And yet mankind in arrogance has said, no, we don't need to do that. Why go to all that trouble? Sprinkling will do, sprinkling with water will do. How crass is that? How arrogant is that? To suggest that you could change the whole meaning of uh, baptism, uh, which Paul highlights to us there, into something which is meaningless. Baptism by immersion in water into the name of Jesus Christ is the only way. A story from the Old Testament now, just to try and demonstrate something similar to this, the arrogance of man, is a story about a man called Naaman. We're talking about Syria quite a lot at the moment. Well, Naaman was a captain in the Syrian army. He was a mighty man of valour, but he was also a leper. And he was told that he could be cured of his leprosy if he went to see the man of God, the prophet Elisha. So, he goes. We're told of this in Second Kings chapter 5. Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he, he took an entourage, he took his servants with him as well. He stood at the door of the man of God, Elisha, Elisha didn't even come down to see him. He sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan, that's the river Jordan, We're going back to that river again that John baptised in uh, 2,000 years ago. Go and wash in the river Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Simple instruction, wasn't it? And there we see that is a picture of the river Jordan, by the way. It's not just a river in the UK. Uh, you, you, your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean simple instruction that's what you must do what did Naaman do? he was furious he went away and said well I thought I thought that surely this man of God this prophet would come out to me he'd, he'd stand and call on the name of the Lord his God he'd wave his hand all over the place he would do great deeds surely that, washing seven times in the Jordan what, what's that for? Uh, I thought he would come down and, and at least invoke the name of his God and heal my leprosy. And then he goes on to say, Are not the Abana and Farfa there rivers of Syria, rivers of Damascus? Uh, and that again is the Abana river there that you can see. Better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He wanted to do it his own way. 
The man of God said, no, you do it the way I've told you. Because Elisha was inspired by God. So he turned away, Naaman, and went away in a rage. And as a leper still. Fortunately for him, his servants were a bit more circumspect. uh, And advised him and said, Father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? By that simple act, that's what he's asked you to do. Fortunately for Naaman, he listened to his servants and he did. He went down and dipped seven times in the river Jordan as the man of God had said. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. A lesson for us and a lesson for today. I'm thinking particularly about baptism because... A greater man of God, a greater man of God than Elisha said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. So the message is extremely clear to us what we should do if we would be saved. Jesus is showing us the way, the way to life. We quote it from Romans chapter uh, Romans chapter 6, and the last verse of that Paul writes there, The wages of sin is death. We will all die because we are all sinners. But God has given us a gift. The gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we would obey his commandments. Our last slide. And so we exhort now from from the psalmist uh, who writes in Psalm 86. He says, teach me your way. In other words, don't go your way. Go the way of the Lord. The way that has been taught, taught to you. And I will teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Christadelphians.org.uk.